All right, um, we are in a sermon series on marriage, and uh, we're going to talk about how to have bliss in your marriage, and uh, um, we worked on that a little bit last week, talked to you about helping other people uh, to um, uh, be strong in their marriage. Uh, Scott's going to actually, tonight, uh, we're going to kind of tag team, y'all ever watch tag team wrestling? Y'all lying, these people lying in here. I don't know what that is because I'm watching the religious channel. Um, Scott and I are going to tag team. Here's how it's going to go. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to preach until I'm thoroughly exhausted. Then I'm going to come down and tag. Somebody said something. I'm going to turn to tag Scott. He's going to come preach till he's exhausted. Then I'll be recuperated. No, it's not going to be like that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to share with you uh, some things God's put in our heart tonight. Actually, we're, we're go, both going to be coming from a little bit different angle, uh, but you're going to get blessed by, um, by the message tonight as we challenge you and uh, put out there what it's going to take to have a strong marriage. Let me just mention a couple things before we get into the Word of God tonight. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, probably some of you have, some of you haven't, that we have had some recent staff changes here at the church. Uh, we've had a staff member added. We've had a staff member step down. We've had a staff member change jobs. So let me just kind of tell you what's going on there. Um, I want to tell you who our new staff member is. He's part-time, but we work in full-time. His name is Mitchell Grantham right back there. He's our media director. Let's give it up for Mr. Mitchell Grantham. I guess he's back there somewhere. Yeah, I see him back there. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Mitchell. Okay. Um, that's an old song from, okay, whatever. Uh, Travis Scott is our technical director, and uh, Jared Grantham, who was our student ministries pastor, has actually stepped down from that position, but he has stepped up to be our creative arts pastor and our worship pastor, and um, he did that in light of the fact that his mom, Miss Betty Grantham, who has served our church for uh, many years on staff here in a part-time role. Uh, Betty's schedule was just uh, um, kind of out of control. She had to get things kind of reined in. So she gave up the creative arts in. She's still going to be our choir director. Are y'all glad to hear that? Because our choir blesses us. And uh, so Betty is not officially a staff member, but she's still going to be in the choir. Jared's going to take the creative arts that his mom was doing. And then Josh Overton, y'all know and love Josh, Josh has stepped up to be our student ministries pastor, and right now he's over uh, Encounter Student Ministries and 412. And so let's give it up for all these folks and their willingness to change and, and be what we need them to be, be what God has called them to be. Let me tell you about some stuff coming up. You guys know about tomorrow at Herman Park, downtown Goldsboro, right next to Goldsboro High School. Uh, we're going to be there from 4 to 7, having a picnic in honor of our volunteers. But everybody's welcome to come. Everybody's welcome to come. And so uh, if you'll bring with you a chair, bring your lawn chair, bring a side item, you know, baked beans or uh, uh, something like potato salad or something like that, you girls know what to do. Bring that stuff, and uh, we're going to supply the meats and bring desserts. Bring some desserts, and we'll supply the drinks if you guys will bring the sides and the desserts, okay? Uh, next weekend, next weekend is Giving Life Weekend, and let me talk about that for just a second. Now, you guys know I've always been real honest with you, real open. We're transparent, and I want to say to you, that uh, we are feeling the effects of the economy in this church. Our economy is weak. Our economy is very unpredictable. I don't know about you all, but I turned the news on at night. We got great news today. Next night, we got terrible news today. So it's really just kind of unpredictable and is uh, generally um, has, has improved very little in the last few years, probably the last six years or so. It's kind of been on the down uh, on the uh, yeah, the uh, decline, thank you, downcline. Down downcline is a word I created. So if you want to pick up one of my dictionaries out in the bookstore, uh, you can pick that up, be able to tell what I'm talking about. All right, so we are feeling it, we are feeling it. And I just want to be honest with you, uh, we're about $3,000 a week below where we were last year. And uh, guys, that is, that's huge, especially with the new building coming up. 
So here's what I'm just asking you to do. Um, a lot of us made pledges to the Giving Life Fund, and then we emphasize that fund once a month. Now, you can give to the Giving Life Fund anytime you want to, any Sunday you want to. Just make sure you earmark it for that. Let me remind you what the Giving Life Fund is. The Giving Life Fund is above your regular tithe. The church functions, the church pays its bills based on your tithe and what you give in your tithe. But we give to missions, we give to the needy, the hungry, those without a job, those who their water's been turned off, their lights have been turned off. And, and while we've had a decline in giving, we've had an incline in the number of people we're having to help. So here's what I'm asking. Those of you who still have your job, those of you who uh, uh, um, you've been not affected so much, I know we've all been affected by rising gas prices and all that, but as far as your income, you haven't been affected let me just say as your pastor to you, be faithful with that. Be faithful with that. Listen, don't be scared. Don't be scared. The enemy will scare you, and he will tell you, you can't give this week. You can't give. You can't be as generous as you've been giving, uh, being generous. Hold it back, you know, kind of pull it in. and you know. So, so I'm just putting that challenge out there. You know what I believe? I believe that if we won't be afraid, and if we will trust God and we will not listen to the fearful voice of the enemy, this church is going to have everything we need to be all that he wants us to be now and in the days to come. So I'm just putting that challenge out there and asking you to just step up next weekend and, and let's give a, a good offering. Now, some of you were not here when we talked about this. And so what we've done is we've created this envelope and it has in it a DVD of me explaining what the Giving Life Fund is all about. There's a book in there and while you watch the DVD, you just kind of flip through the pages of the book as I explain what this is about. But it's very simple. Uh, the three things, again, I didn't give you those three things uh, thoroughly. Uh, the three things that you give to in the Giving Life Fund is missions, those who are needy in our community, those who are going through tough times financially in our community, and our new building out there. So that's what the Giving Life Fund is, and we hope next week that you guys will step up in faith, let's give a good offering, and show the enemy that he cannot intimidate us in doing the work of the Lord in these last days. And the people said? Amen. Amen. All right. Um, you got a little piece of paper in your chair. You got a little piece of paper there. That is for you to write down any question you want to write down about marriage. Any question. Now, we know you could have sent in an email or you could have gone on Facebook and sent it to Scott and Sherry or sent it to me or sent it to our church uh, through the website. But we thought that some of you may want to ask a question anonymously. And so uh, put your question on the paper. And as you're exiting tonight, we will have ushers at the doors with the little baskets, and you can just drop your question right in there. And Scott and I, Scott and I, and Sherry and Millie, I think Millie's going to get up here with us next week. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to sit up here next week, and we're going to go through some of the questions, and uh, we're going to pick the really, really, really hard ones, and those are the ones Scott's going to answer. And so we'll have that for you next week. The ones we don't get to... We're going to answer those and put them on the website. So every question that's asked of us, every serious question that's asked of us, uh, we will, we will uh, respond to that and uh, we will put it on the website. So whether your question gets answered next weekend or not, it will get answered and you'll be able to read our response to it. Also, one more thing, and then I'm just going to turn it over to Scott. One more thing that I promised you last week was a sheet with resources on it for you to get equipped so you can help other people. Uh, we, we want you to have a strong marriage, and we're here to help you have a strong marriage. Scott's going to share that. I'm going to come up and just talk to you really about your marriage in particular. Scott's going to kind of build on tonight uh, helping other people with their marriage because here's the whole deal. Here, here's the whole thing. If we all become ministers in this church, we will be a powerful church. But so many churches, and I've pastored some of those churches, so many churches think they've hired people to do the work of the ministry. 
You know what my job and Scott's job and the staff's job is? We do ministry, but we don't do that as leaders of the church. We do that as Christians. We're individual Christians too. But our primary job here in the church is to equip you, to get you ready to go out there like a mighty army with the truth of God's word so you can be powerful and effective uh, in the community in bringing people to Christ and helping, with, helping them with the issues of life. And one of the major issues of life is marital problems. We know that the enemy understands that if he can get our homes in trouble, then our church will be in big trouble. And so we've got to know how to minister to our home, in our home. It's very, very important. So I hope you'll pick this up on the way out. It is a marriage resource sheet. There are books on marriage, books per, uh, particularly for men, books particularly for women. So y'all got a lot more books for men than women. Okay, whatever. And then, <laughs> how many of you ladies know that's probably needed? Amen. Are y'all awake tonight? Because last Saturday night, y'all were not awake. Thank, thank both of you. Uh, hope for recovery. There are addictions involved quite often. Uh, blended families, blended families, amen, amen, that can, uh, all things can work out well till we get together, and so um, we'll, we'll, uh, we've got some information there for you, good stuff, military families, resources for military families, they have particular unique needs in their marriage, they're, they're apart a lot, and so there's a lot of good information there, and here's some events you can go to, take your wife to, uh, take your husband too, and uh, um, uh, conferences and ways to uh, strengthen your marriage by attending seminars, conferences, and then websites down here at the bottom that you can go to that will help you very, very, very much. A lot of the books that are on here are out there in our bookstore, so you can pick uh, those up uh, whenever you um, have a little bit extra money to do that. Pick one of those up and just start reading it, and, and a good thing to do would be to read it together as a couple and to share what, what you're reading and as you're going through it, okay? So pick one of these up. Scott Jennings is our uh, marriage and family life pastor, and uh, behind every good man is a what? Better woman. And in his case, it could not be more true. And uh, we love Sherry and Scott, and i got to tell you something right now. Um, they have rescued marriages through the power of God, through the word of God, through the word of their testimony. They have reached down into the gutter of marriages that were gone, and with God's anointing and using them, they have literally brought marriages back uh, to, to full, abundant life the way God intended it to be. Many, many, many stories we could tell in this church. You know what I thank God for? That we are a church that so believes in keeping marriages healthy and homes healthy that we actually have on staff a full-time person that is dedicated to that. And there aren't many churches you're going to go to that, that sees that uh, as being that important, but we certainly do here. And i got to tell you something, since bringing Scott and Sherry on in the capacity that we have, they started off um, doing it for free and uh, never came to us asking for anything, but we saw the impact then part-time. Scott went on part-time, and now Scott is uh, uh, full-time with us here on the staff. And i got to tell you, Sherry works just as hard as he does, and we love them both so much. Uh, let me just say this, and I'm done. Um, you know, we're talking about the ten qualities of a life-giving church. This, I believe, is quality number eight, I believe. And uh, it is a church that is life-giving, is one that has as a core value the health of marriages and the health of the homes in that church. And I'm glad to say uh, I believe we're one of those churches. Let's welcome uh, Scott Jennings to the pulpit tonight and uh, just give him a big old hand. Thank you, my brother. Appreciate you. All right. All right. Look at that. Let me help you. No, uh, thanks. We're this good. is a comedy we're routine yes. that we're going to do together tonight. Keystone Cops kind of thing. Most of you guys probably don't. Some of you might know what that is. Most of you probably don't. Uh, yeah, I, just to touch on one thing that Pastor Farrell mentioned. Uh, strong churches don't make strong families. Strong families make strong churches. And that's the way it's designed to be. If you don't have strong families in your church, your church is not going to survive. Your church will not survive. And so that's what we're focused on 
here at the bridge. Uh, before I get started, I just want to give thanks to God. Um, this message is, uh, I, I wrote this message uh, Thursday morning, actually. God kind of gave it to me, um, but as I, was, as I was finishing up writing it, it occurred to me that this was part of the original vision that Sherry and I had for the marriage ministry here at, uh, at the bridge at the time it was Whitley Church. Uh, for us to be able to speak into couples and speak into the lives of people and then have them come alongside other folks within their sphere of influence and, and, and equip those couples to be able to, to speak into those other people's lives that, that I wouldn't be able to speak into because I, maybe I don't know them. It's somebody at work or somebody at a family reunion or something like that. Pastor Farrell or myself or any of the other staff would never have contact with those people, so you are the ones that are called to minister to those people. So I'm just thankful for, for, uh, for God to be able to, to give this little bit, little quick message to you tonight. I, I believe there's people here tonight who are going to hear what I have to say, and they're going to say, aha, aha, that's the thing. They keep talking about serving. They keep talking about giving back, belong, commit, grow. The last step of that is serving. I've been waiting to find out what it is that I'm supposed to do. I've been waiting to hear from God. I've been serving because you go, you know, to the, to the place of greatest need, even when you're not sure what it is you're supposed to do, right? M many hands make light work. And so you go to that area, even though you don't feel called by God to wave at people in the parking lot or, or work in the coffee shop, you go and you do that because you, you, you can't just sit and wait to say, I'm going to sit here by myself and not serve anyone until I hear from God. You can't do that. So you go out and serve. And I believe that there's people here tonight that have been doing that, have been waiting to hear, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I'm called to do. This is my burden. This is my calling. So I'm excited. I'm excited about this. If you have a Bible with you, you want to go to Ezekiel chapter 22. We're going to hang out there for a little bit tonight. This is a series on marriage. So I'm going to talk about love. I'm going to talk about love. Yeah, baby. Now's the cue the Barry White over there. He's over there like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, it's not, it's not uh, that kind of love I'm going to talk about, okay? I'm going to talk about a different kind of love. There's three types of love that are mentioned in the Bible, agape, eros, and phileo. And, and that's not phileo fish, all right? It's phileo. It's a Greek word. And what it means is love for your brother or sister in Christ. It's like a brotherly love that I'm talking about tonight, okay? And so last weekend, uh, or, or uh, last weekend at the Goldsboro campus, I talked about, when, and I did it, that same teaching actually here on a Wednesday night uh, in the Man versus Wife series. Uh, I talked about how if there's tension in a relationship, in any relationship that you have, it's because you're not on the same page with that person. You might be here, and you might, the, your wife might be here, or vice versa, or you might be here, and your boss might be here. You're just not on the same page. And so that creates tension in the relationship. And that can be the same thing. That same thing can happen in your relationship with God. You can be, if you're not on the same page in your relationship with God that he wants you to be, if you're not on the same page with God, if you're not following his truth and, and listening to teaching and learning more about what the Bible has to say about your certain situations, there's tension in your life because you may be doing something that God does not want you to do. So let me ask you something. Have you ever been moved to do something or talk to someone or to reach out to someone and then you ignored it? You ever uh, guilty? Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're not all super holy out there. I appreciate that. Uh, but you know, it's like you, you're supposed to, you drive by somebody and they've got a, a flat tire and you say, man, I really should probably stop. And, and then you don't, or you see a, a mom you know, and she's there in the grocery outside of Wally World, right? And she's trying to fumble around with, you know, three kids and 16 bags of groceries. And you say, I'm in a hurry. And you just keep walking, you know. Some of you moms out there are, are saying, yeah, that happens to me a lot. I understand it. But when you see somebody in crisis and, uh, uh, you know, you, you maybe you're, le you're led to, to talk to them or speak to them about their relationship or maybe you see somebody that's, they're heading down a road, and you know the road they're going down, and then you, for whatever reason, you decide not to talk to them, but you really felt led to share some truth with them, either from your own experience or, or from the, the truth from the, that you know from the Bible. You know, that was actually, that's actually the Holy Spirit. 
That's the Holy Spirit trying to, trying to lead you. That's the Holy Spirit trying to lead you. And the reason it doesn't feel very good when you decide to ignore that tug later on, the reason that doesn't feel good is because there's tension in your relationship with God at that moment. You've decided to ignore that pull on your heart. And so now God wanted you to do that for whatever reason, and you decided not to. And so now there's tension. That's why you feel that, that uncomfortable feeling. So when you see someone in crisis, and we're speaking specifically about crisis in marriage, but really it could be any relationship, any relationship. You know, it could be um, you and your mom or you and your aunt or whoever you might be, you and your dad, whoever it might be, okay? You can reach out to that person, a coworker, a boss. You can reach out to that person and you can help them. You are equipped, you are equipped by God to be a counselor. Pastor Farrell talked about it last weekend. He, say, say it with me again. I am, I am a marriage, a marriage counselor. counselor. All right. I'm not going to pick on you, but that was lame. All right. Just believe that, though. Believe that, okay? Not a counselor that's certified by the state. All right. You don't, you don't, and God bless those that are, that have gone through that teaching and gone through that, that, that schooling that that requires. But you can, you can be a biblical counselor. You can be a biblical counselor. Sherry and I are not certified by the state. I don't have a bunch of letters after my name, right? I, I, I am certified by God as a biblical counselor. I understand what the word of God says about marriage and relationships. And I'm still learning what the word of God says about marriage and relationships. And then what we do is we talk to you. We sit down and we talk to you. And, and not only do we talk to you, we listen to you. And we take your situation and we hold it up against what the Word of God says. We hold it up against the plumb line that is the Word of God. Okay, the plumb line that is the Word of God. So, let me just ask you something. If someone's standing on a stepladder, all right, you've seen people on a stepladder before. Sherry, say, is standing on a stepladder. Sherry uses stepladders a whole lot more frequently than I do. Okay, she's about five foot yay nothing. So she's standing up on a stepladder, and she starts to teeter a little bit. Is it really that big of a deal to just go, whoa, and stop her from falling? Just put, her, put your hand up there and let her grab your hand. No, it's not a big deal. It's not hard to do that, right? Does it take a lot of training to say to somebody who's reaching for a pot on the stove, hey, you probably want to use a pot holder. You probably want to use, uh, put something on your hand before you pick up that, because that handle is going to be hot. It doesn't take a lot of training to do that, does it? If someone's, you know, driving towards a bridge that's out or something like that, right? The road, you, you've had to do a Ewing turn around because the bridge is closed. And, hey, uh, bridge is closed. You know, it doesn't take a lot of training to warn somebody when they're about to drive off of a cliff. It does not take a lot of training, all right? You are equipped. You are equipped to help others. You are equipped to do it. You're equipped to speak into their lives in ways that we couldn't do. We couldn't do it. I, I, I don't have the relationships like I already mentioned. Pastor Farrell does not have those relationships that you do. And so the other reason that we can't speak into their lives is that we don't have the testimony you have. You all have a different testimony than we do. Matter of fact, look at the person next to you and say, I have a different testimony than you do. I have a different testimony. Everyone has a different testimony. Everyone's been in a different situation. Everyone's been down a different road. Everyone's been carried through different trials. Everyone's going through different stuff right now, tonight. There may be people here who are like, all right, we'll go listen to this, but Monday we're going to see a lawyer. And you, you, you do not know what that person is going through when you come across that person and you feel that tug on your heart from the Holy Spirit. So, how do we help someone who's headed towards trouble? How do we help someone who's headed towards trouble? How do we help someone as a brother would? How do we love them as a brother would? That phileo love, right? How do we stand in the gap? There's three ways that we do that. The first one is we pray. We pray, okay? Prayer for another person is called intercession. Intercession. Sometimes we're in a situation so deep, we can't even pray for ourselves. We need someone else to pray for us. 
we can't do it for ourselves. Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Ezekiel 22, 30. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on my behalf or on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Now, this is, this is actually dealing with the sins that uh, Jerusalem was committing at the time. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in Jerusalem that I don't have a lot of time to get into right now, but let's just say it was bad stuff going on in Jerusalem, okay? This was the bad side of town, all right? It was, it was not good stuff. So, but the Lord is saying through Ezekiel that he, God, he's searching for someone who would intercede for Jer Jerusalem, someone that would stand in the gap for Jerusalem and do what was necessary to bring Jerusalem to salvation. And he couldn't find anybody. He couldn't find anybody. There's times when we're in bad shape because of illness or life circumstance, right? Think about quicksand. Ever, ever, I mean, uh, if somebody here has been in a pit of quicksand, you know, you, you're like a world traveler or something. I don't, I don't know where you've been that there's quicksand. <laughs> Maybe it's here in Princeton. I don't know, but... Man, everybody's seen someone get trapped in a pit of, of quicksand in, like, Indiana Jones, a movie, or whatever, right? I mean, that person is, you cannot get out of that stuff on your own. There's nothing you can do except say, well, I hope somebody comes along and grabs a vine and jumps in and pulls me out, right? Because that's always what happens, All right, You cannot do it. You can't pray by yourself. You're up to your neck in the situation, and you just can't even stand for, in the gap for yourself. That's when I believe God calls on Christians, especially to pray on behalf of other people. So here's the thing that many people don't know about intercession. That requires a commitment. Intercession requires a commitment. All right, not the kind of commitment that says, oh, wow, that's terrible. I'll be praying for you. You know, guilty. I say that to people. I do. I'm not, I mean, and then sometimes I remember and sometimes I don't. You know a prayer that I say a lot? A prayer that I say a lot. God, for all the people that I said I would pray for, and I can't remember those specific circumstances because there are so many people asking me to pray for them, God, lift them up right now. God, lift them up right now. You know their hearts. You know who they are. But it's not just a quick one-time prayer intercession, Okay. This is a request that's brought to God over and over and over again consistently until the person that you're interceding for experiences or sees the results, okay? Experiences or sees the results. Here's what I know about God, and many of you do too, is that sometimes you'll pray for something very specifically and you'll get a different result. Right? You'll get something, God will give you something completely different than what you prayed for originally. And sometimes it's most of the time, all the time, God's plans are better than ours, okay? But the, the plans that we come up with in our minds, sometimes, I mean, what we come up with, that's what God does, and God is great like that. And other times it's like, well, I don't see how this is an answer to prayer. And sometimes you've got to continue to walk that out in faith. And it's much better than it was in the first place. But in the midst of praying, you know, for and, and interceding for somebody, like Sherry and I sometimes, we've gone to Pastor Farrell. And I've said to him, man, why does it seem like I care more about this person's marriage than they do? That's because I do. That's because we do at that time. Because you know why? Because we're interceding for that person. That's intercession. I care more in that moment about their marriage than they do because they're so far up in the quicksand, they can't pray for themselves. Or their blinders are on, and they can't see even the circumstances that, that they're in. They can't see the road that they're on. They can't see the consequences that their behavior is going to have. They're blind, and so we have to pray for them. Don't wait to do this. If God has pulled on your heart to do this for somebody, to reach out for somebody, even if you don't know what you're doing, okay? And listen, half the time when I'm doing things that God has called me to do, I don't know how to do them, okay? I don't know how to do them, but you step out anyway. You step out anyway and you do it, okay? It's not always easy. 
It's not always comfortable. Most of the time, it's actually uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to, to intercede on somebody's behalf. It's not, a, it's not a comfortable thing to put yourself in danger, in a place of danger, in a position of danger for someone else. Before I came to North Carolina, I was a firefighter for the better part of 15 years. And I've been in burning buildings that were so hot that they melted the helmet on my head. That's hot. That's a hot fire. That is not comfortable. That is not comfortable. How many, how many policemen, firemen, first responders? Do we have any here tonight? Any first? Yes, yeah, some guys in the back, back there. Let's give it a hand for those guys, huh? You know what those guys are? They're intercessors. They're intercessors. They step in to help someone when that person can't help themselves, right? Do you think it's comfortable for a police officer to draw his weapon and point it at another human being to defend another person? That's not a comfortable position to be in. Do you think it's comfortable for a firefighter to jump into a burning window, a building building, not knowing whether or not he's going to come back out? That's not comfortable. How about when an EMS worker is doing CPR on a six-year-old? Do you think that's comfortable? That is not comfortable, but that's intercession because those people cannot help themselves in those situations. You have to, you, if you are called to do that, if you feel that tug, you, you need to do that. Let me, just, let me just say one more thing and we're going to move on to the next thing. Who is the greatest intercessor of all? Jesus. Jesus Christ, the greatest intercessor. Do you think the physical, mental, and emotional torture that he endured was comfortable on any level? Absolutely not. He did not go to a cross and die for us so that we could be Christians and sit on the lazy boy recliner and, and be the, you know, participate in the Christian prom. I heard this, this, uh, this pastor in Las Vegas, he talks about the Christian prom, right? What do you do for prom? You get all dolled up, right? You put on the tux, maybe you rent a limousine, and you go out and, and you have, have that night. And, and the Christian, what he's talking about when he talks about the Christian prom, he's talking about Christians that Sunday morning, they pull their Bible down off their shelf and they get all dressed up for church. They get all dressed up in their finest clothes and they come to church and they're great Christians. And it's good morning. Good morning, brother. How are you today? Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord, brother. And their marriage is coming apart. Or their kid is on his way to jail. And they don't want to pretend, they, they want to pretend like everything's okay. Because they don't want anybody to think that they don't have everything together. That's the Christian prom. And we're not going to do that in this church. Amen. We are not going to do that in this church. You can't say amen to that, you better say ouch. Let me just say. All right. Number two, we talk. Number two, we talk. We pray and we talk. We're transparent. We're transparent. We're not ashamed of the testimony that God has given us. Rather, we're happy to give God glory through sharing our story with others. Sharing our stories with others. John 9 is one of my uh, favorite, uh, favorites in the Bible because it reveals to me that testifying or witnessing, it doesn't have to be complicated or poetic. There's some of you that think, I can't share my testimony because I'm not a great speaker and I don't know how to talk and you know, I, I'd be just be embarrassed if I opened my, my mouth. You do not have to be the greatest speaker of all time to be able to share your testimony. That's a lie from hell. Because the enemy doesn't want you to use your testimony to help other people. Let me just tell you that. That's the truth. Okay? Listen, John 9, I don't have the whole thing. Okay? But I, I just want to, I think I just have verse 3. But I want to read John 9, 1 through 12 with you. Uh, as he went along, he saw a man, a blind a man blind from birth. His disciple, uh, disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This chapter, uh, verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay? After saying this, he spit on the ground, right? Hawks a loogie. It's a holy loogie, though, so it's okay. 
He made some mud, and he put it on the guy's eyes, and he said, go. He told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, and that word means sent, sent. So the man went, and he washed, and he came home seeing, came home seeing. His, listen to this. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Now, this dude's an outcast, obviously, from that verse right there, all right? Isn't this the dude, isn't this, the, that, this that bum that used to hit me up for change every day? Isn't that the same guy? Some claimed that he was, all right? Others said, no, he only looks like him. It couldn't be that guy. It couldn't be that guy. But he himself insisted, I am that man. How then were your eyes opened? How were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus, he made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. And they said, where is this man? He said, I don't know. I don't know where he went. So Jesus heals this man. He places mud on his eyes, right? He in instructs him to wash in the pool. The man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Everyone who knew this guy noticed the change right away. Once they realized it was that guy, obviously, it was that guy who was sitting on the side of the road day after day, right, his little tin cup saying, hey, you got any money? I don't know, what, whatever it was. Rattling it around, right, begging, okay? Now, all of a sudden, he comes walking into town, I can see Jesus did it. Simple. Not complicated, not poetic, right? Obviously, the guy's not a great orator or something. I was blind, now I can see. Who did it? Jesus. Well, how do I get some of that? That's it. Simple, simple. There's nothing complicated. There doesn't have to be anything complicated or poetic about your testimony. There doesn't have to be anything complicated or poetic about it. All you have to do is simply share the truth with no hype, no spin. You don't have to put any spin on it, right? And you don't have to polish it. What is it, do you think, that keeps us from sharing our testimony with other people? What do you think it, it is that keeps us? The number one thing that keeps us from sharing. Fear. I heard somebody say it. Fear. Fear. That fear is not of God. Do you know that? The fear I'm talking about, not, not you know, fear God because he is, no, no, no. I'm talking about fear that's not of God. Fear that's of the enemy. Fear that's afraid, okay? That we're going to, that we're going to sound stupid. Or we're going to be ashamed. Or somebody's going to judge us. Or on and on and on and on and on, okay? All those things that are not of God. I heard Ed Young Jr., you know, Ed Young Jr. from Fellowship Church in Texas, he said that fear is an acronym. Now, we're a military community, so we like us some acronyms, right? Right? Some of you guys may have heard this. Maybe you haven't heard this before. But fear is actually an acronym, and you might want to write this down. Fear stands for false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. You're afraid of what might happen and what if, if you're transparent with somebody, that they might come back and talk about the blah, 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 blah. The mights and ifs, okay? God is not about mights and ifs. God is all about order, not chaos. Because when you start thinking about what might happen, or if I do this, then, you know, if this happens or if that happens, is that, where does that go, it usually, in your mind? That takes you, that, I mean... Me, personally, I spiral out of control when I go down that road of trying to think of what might happen. And then I end up not doing what it is that the Holy Spirit has called me to do in that moment. What's the power of a lie? What's the power of a lie? Well, they, right, the, he's the, the enemy is what? The father of lies, right? Okay. So what's the power of a lie? That you believe the lie. That you believe the lie. The lie is that you don't have anything worthy of sharing. The lie is that you're not going to be able to share it in, in a way that you can articulate what it is that God has done. The lie is that someone is going to embarrass you. The lie is that you need to be ashamed. The lie is that you're going to be judged. 
The power of those lies is that you believe them. And if you don't believe the lie, it has no power. It has no power. Don't be ashamed of your story. Some people are ashamed of their past. They're ashamed of what has happened to them in the past. They're ashamed of what they've done. They're ashamed of what they've been through. I'm telling do not be ashamed of that. That guy who was blind and then he could see, there was no shame in saying, yeah, I was that beggar. I was that beggar. Now look at me. I can see because of a man named Jesus. There's no shame there. There's no shame at all. I'm not, I, there, I, I am not ashamed of what happened to me and the things that I did in, in my life that God rescued me from and redeemed me from. All that gives me is more power and more evidence of the work of God in my life. That's all that is. If you know me at all, I'm not smart enough to pull this off on my own. And I don't mean just working with Sherry. I mean, Sherry got an amen, she gave me an amen on that one. But, man, I'll tell you, God, God, God has done this work in me. God has done this work in me. 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for hope that you have but do this with godliness and respect, or gentleness and, gentleness and respect. This doesn't mean that each one of us has to go around, you know, riding bikes, knocking on doors, handing out flyers, although you have to admit, you know, I have to admire those folks for their tenacity, okay? But it does mean we need to be living lives that would cause the world around us to ask about the changes that have happened in our lives. And it does mean that we're willing to point to the man they call Jesus who made these changes possible in our lives. Are the changes in your life that obvious? Are people looking at you and saying, what's the deal with that whole thing? Because I know two weeks ago you came in here and you said you were going through some stuff and you're handling it completely different from the way that I would expect you to based on what the culture says to do. What's the deal with that? Are the changes in your life that obvious that Jesus has made? Here's the thing to remember. When you're talking to somebody, remember we're on point number two, we talk to people. When you're talking to someone, once you talk, once you share your testimony, you have to be willing to listen. You have to be willing to listen to somebody. Most people who are in crisis, they're really just looking for someone who they can open up to and who will really listen to them. Not wait to talk. Guilty, guilty. I wait to talk a lot of times. When someone's talking to me, I pick up on something they say and I hang on to that point and I wait to make my point until their mouth start, stops moving. You know, it's like you, 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 me. Me, me, I'm going to make my point. I'm going to make my point. Ryan Regan, awesome. Right? You, you can't wait to talk. You have to be willing to stop and listen to the person. Take the word listen, L-I-S-T-E-N. You write that down? Write that word down? Rearrange the letters of the word. You can spell another word. You know what it is? Silent. Silent. And that doesn't mean just here. That means here. Just be silent and listen to the person and let them talk to you. Here's my prayer for you. Jesus is the one who caused so many blind to see, so many lame to walk, so many lost to be found. I pray this week you might experience his touch on your life in such a way that it changes you so thoroughly that those around you can't help but notice a difference. I don't know what I need to share this with you guys. I don't know why, but I need to. Um, seven years ago, I was a alcoholic adulterer who was uh, abusing prescription drugs on a regular basis and living with a woman that wasn't my wife. And I was an agent of the enemy. 
as I stand here speaking to you today as, as a man of God, I, I was as much of an agent of the enemy at that time. To the point where the, now the, what the enemy does, he takes anything that God has created and he perverts it and he twists it. And he uses it for something it was never meant to be used for. And so at that time in my life, I was perverted and twisted. To the point where after I was saved, several months later, later I saw a picture of myself during that time with my brother. And I didn't recognize myself in the photograph. And I remember... After I got saved, my sister, who lives in Delaware, didn't believe it. She had no reason to believe it. I had, no one had any reason to believe anything that came out of my mouth at that time. And I remember seeing her for the first time that November in 2005. And she looked at me for the first time, saw me in person after she had heard I was saved. She saw me in person. And she said, now I know it's true. Now I know it's true. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I can see it. I, she said, I, I, you look different to me. You look different for me, to me. I was, I was twisted. I was perverted. I was demented. I was an agent of the enemy. And I was unrecognizable, even to myself. And God saved me. Number three, we walk. Number three, we walk. We walk alongside them. We mentor them. We mentor people that need us. Amos 3.3, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? We often refer to a life serving Jesus as, as a life that is, you're, you're on a journey in this life. You're on a journey in this life. How, what is the, what is the, uh, what do you most often take a journey on? How did you get here to the bridge tonight? You got here on a road, right? You got here on a road. Okay. Well, when you're traveling on a road, if you're not very careful, and some of you have probably actually experienced this, you, actually, you can end up in a ditch, and it can happen in the blink of an eye, right? Something runs out in front of you, the road is slippery, whatever it is, all of a sudden you're in a ditch, okay? Well, what do they put up on the sides of the road to prevent people from going into the ditches? Guardrails, exactly. That's all it means to be a mentor. That's all it means to be a mentor. You are on a journey just like the person that you're coming alongside of, just like the person that you're walking alongside of. You're on a journey, and you're journeying. When you say, I want to mentor you, I want to mentor you, that means I'm, that you're saying, I'm going to walk alongside you. And what you can become for that person is guardrails along the journey. So that you, when you see them starting to veer off the road and they start heading off into the ditch, you can grab them by the collar and say, whoa, you do not want to go down that road. You do not want to go down there. That's all that means. That's all that means. Or maybe it's a couple, and they, they have this pattern of arguing about the same thing over and over and over again. And they get into this, this cycle of arguing about the same things every single time. It may start out a little bit different, but it ends up in the same place. That argument ends up in the same place. And you can be the guardrails for that person to say, hey, you know what? I can see you guys are heading into the ditch again. And we're not going to have that happen this time. Let's do something different. Let's do something different, okay? So what this requires, however, let me say this. That person has to be willing to walk with you. That person, you cannot drag someone along the road to healing. You cannot drag that person with you. They have to be willing to walk. They have to be willing to walk. In John chapter 5, Jesus walks up to the paralytic. And he's been lying by this pool in Bethesda, right? And supposedly uh, it had healing powers. And every time it would swirl, right, the, the waters would stir up. If you were the first one to get into the water, you'd be healed. Well, this dude is a paralytic. So he's been laying there for 38 years trying to drag himself into the water. You have to be the first one into the water now. So this dude can't walk. So for 38 years, he's trying to be the first one. Can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. And, and Jesus walks up to this guy. Let me, let me just ask you this. What's the definition of insanity? 
doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Do you think he's been doing it over and over again if he's been there for 38 years and he's expecting a different result every time he does it the same way, okay? Jesus, what, how, many, how many people have been in a relationship or in your marriage and you've been, you've been trying to deal with an issue that's been going on that paralyzes you for 5, 10, 20, 40 years and you've been trying to deal with it the same way over and over and over again. And for some reason you're surprised when it doesn't work. You're surprised when that does not work. Jesus walks up to this guy who's laying on the ground and he's been trying to drag himself into the pool for 38 years. And the question he asks him, you you might think it's a little weird. You might think it's a little bit weird because, well, let me just say. Jesus says in John 5, 6, he says, do you want to be well? Now, this guy has been lying there trying to drag, I mean, you know, digging his fingernails out, trying to be the first one. Somebody always jumps in first. All right, I guess we'll go back and wait for it to swirl up again. Drag, 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 can't make it in. The guy has been there for almost four decades. Why would Jesus say, do you want to be well? Why would Jesus ask him that question? Two reasons. Two reasons. First, I believe, if you really wanted to be well, you wouldn't be looking to a pool, but rather to the real healer, the real power, the the, the one that has the power to actually heal you, not some pool, right? Not Dr. Phil, right? Someone that has the real power to heal you. And number two, if you really want to be well, you'd stop whining about it and you'd stand up and be well. You'd stop whining about it. No, you don't have it all figured out. Yes, there's still things you got to work on. Yes, there's still things you have to deal with. But for the love of God, stand up and be well. Do you want to be well? Then stand up and do what it takes. Stand up and do You don't have to be a victim anymore. You don't have to be a victim. Man, I understand that there are things that you have to work through when you've dealt with situations in your life and you've been abused or you've been attacked or you've been through a trauma or you've been through something that is devastating. I understand there's a process that leads to healing. But at some point, you have to say, I want to be well. I don't want to live in this place of injury anymore. I don't want to live in this place of woundedness anymore. And I'm going to stand up as a believer in Christ and embrace the truth that comes through the word of God and accept it as truth in my life and be healed. We do not work towards victory as Christians. Do you know that? We don't work towards victory. We work from victory. The victory has already been done. The victory has already been won for us, right? What's the, what's the, what did the lyrics say? The fight was won on the cross. The fight was won on the cross, so stand up. Okay, tangent there, but let's, let's go back to being guardrails, all right? We're talking about how you can help the people in your lives. Let's talk about mentoring. Actual guardrails, why are they strong? Why do they stand there? When a 2,000-pound vehicle rams into them, why do they hold up? Because the posts that they're set on are sunk, you know, six, ten, I don't even know how far. You know, ask a DOT guy. 20 feet into the ground, okay? They're sunk into the ground. What would happen if a guardrail was just kind of leaned up there on some sawhorses and a 2,000-pound car crashed into it? It'd plow right through it. It would plow right through it. I don't care how called you are and how much the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart to help someone. If you are not prepared and you're not standing firmly on the word of God, they will run you over. Those people will run you down. I don't care how good your intentions are. You have to be prepared. You have to be prepared. And you do that by being deeply rooted 
in the Word of God and learning and, and continuing to leach, listen. We are amazingly blessed to have the pastor that we have. He, does not come, he is not about the Christian prom. He is not going to come in here and preach like he's trying to get enough votes to stay pastor. Right? He's going to give us the truth, and he's going to give us some tools. And we're going to grow under his leadership. And you should all be very thankful that you have a pastor like that. And I have a job still. Yeah, Farrell. And I still have a job on Monday now, at least for another week. At least for another week, no. Uh, how do I make sure I won't collapse? You say, how do I do that? You stay rooted in the word of God, like I say. You're say what you're saying is, I want to go an, an, to another level here. I want to disciple someone. I want to disciple someone. That's, that's, the, that's really, again, what mentoring is as well, is discipling, okay? How did Jesus disciple his, his disciples, okay? He spent time with them. He trained them. He prepared them for what was to come, right? He did it with his word, and he did it by example, right? He did it by example. He led them. You have to do the same thing. You have to do the same thing. As a matter of fact, we have a mentor training. We have a mentor training coming up in June, okay? So the, this training is going to equip you to go to the next level of commitment to others, to helping others. It's going to equip you to do that. If you're one of those people that said, aha, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to serve. Let us know. Come up and talk to us afterwards, all right? And you'll see more details about that coming up soon. I'm going to close with this, and I really mean it. I really mean that I'm going to close. Here's how we affect change in the world around us. Here's how you affect change, okay? Jesus gave us the example to follow. We live simple, memorable, and reproducible lives. Simple, memorable, and reproducible lives with the people within our sphere of influence. The people within our sphere of influence, okay? Jesus could have chosen to have 1,200 disciples. He could have chosen to have 12,000 disciples. He's God, right? I mean, he could have pulled that off, okay? How many did he choose? 12. 12, all right? Among, how, did he, how, did he, how did he mentor them? Well, among other things, he prayed with them, he talked with them, and he walked with them. He prayed with them, he talked with them, and he walked with them. Just 12 guys. Just 12 guys. His sphere of influence as a man, fully God, but fully man, right? His sphere of influence as a man walking the earth showed us that 12 men, that small sphere of influence, and then that guy influences 12 men and 12 ladies, and that's how you make a difference. We have this idea that in order to affect change in this country, that we have to vote for the right candidate, we have to pass the right bill, we have to pass the right amendment. We think we have to post this long dissertation on Facebook, right, about how awful the current administration is, how life would be so much better if we just get the right person in the White House or the State House. And look, I'm not saying we shouldn't participate in those processes. Those processes are what allows me to stand up here and say what God has put on my heart without fear and without worry. I can do that. I can speak freely. But if you want to change a community, start with the 12 people or the one person within your sphere of influence. That's how you affect change in this country, the way Jesus showed us. If every one of us would spread the effect Jesus has had on our lives to the people around us within our sphere of influence, you'd see real change and you'd see real hope. So there's three steps to helping someone within your sphere of influence. You pray with them, you talk with them, you walk with them. And come up and talk to us after the service if you're interested in doing that. God bless you. Amen. Let's give it up for Scott. Thank you, brother. Amen. So guys, here's what I want us to do. I want us to, um, I want us to pray. I want us to come to the altar. And I want you guys to think about your own marriage relationship 
where you are in your own relationship. We're going to pray with you here around the altar tonight. We want to help you. Scott and Sherry are here. I'm here. Other staff members are here. Some of our prayer team members are here. But we also want you to consider how God may use you on our mentoring team to let's expand the people who are available to help people. One of the things we push with the staff, and Scott and Sherry are as good about it and as good with it as anybody I know. Matt, if you'll just come right on up here, buddy, and, and get to the keyboard. Um, we're going to um, uh, uh, build teams. We talk about building teams, duplicating yourself, duplicating yourself. By yourself, you have impact. But if you were to take somebody... Who, who wants to know more about God and, and teach them the things God's put in your heart, then we don't just have you doing that, but we have you and another person doing that. And so that's one of the core values, one of the strategies, one of the God-given strategies that we believe God has put in our heart. And that is for, for those people who are leaders, influencers, those people who are a blessing to others, and that includes everybody to duplicate yourself. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand. I'm going to begin to pray. And as I begin to pray, I want you guys to just walk up here. Just walk up to the altar. And let's just have some prayer time together before we go home.